faithful and patient listeners. I think I can call you my friends on my 15th podcast to put up with me for nearly four hours of casting. This is Paul Daniels, Chairman of Involved Investors. I'm afraid today we're going to have to put up with a couple of amorous pigeons who are sitting on trees near the shed in which I record these podcasts. So please do forgive me. I've decided to proceed in any case. And you might enjoy what they're talking about even more than you're enjoying what I do. We've been through all the preliminaries of starting a business. And now we're into the important, I suppose, the most crucial stage of all, which is building it. Building it into your image and building it into what you want it to be building it to become a huge operation and to retaining a keen interest in it throughout the rest of your working life, or building it to capitalize and move on to secondary management. I'm going to share with you the lessons I've learned over 60 years in business. And before I start, just in case you think that they sound preaching and trite, there are probably 12 points. In fact, there are 12 points that I'm going to talk about. And I can assure you that in every single case, I've made these mistakes in one form or another. And having made the mistakes and realized they were mistakes, I'm going to tell you what I believe the solutions are and the right way to build a business. Now, I may be wrong, and that's up to your discretion. You've got to decide that, whether I'm right or wrong. But these are my firmly held beliefs It's extraordinary to me to think, and maybe to you too when you hear it, to think that it was not until 1805 that people's lifespans lasted averagely more than 40 years in the UK. 40 years in the UK. Well, I've had 60 years in business and my lifespan is double that. So I believe that wisdom and knowledge do grow as you get older provided you have an open mind and you learn something new every day, possibly every hour, and you absorb it. Okay, so let's get on with it. My first point is to do with the culture of the business. Now, to a very large extent, it's going to follow you and your colleagues, but you have decisions and choices to make along the way. I believe that the best culture is an open friendly, competitive, yes, but fun and full of games and competitions, perhaps, but always a team effort. It must be non-political and you and your colleagues should have open doors, if you've got doors, and an open plan office works superbly, if you're going to be in an office, that is, with the forums for meetings. Everybody must be part of the team. They must have a feeling of equality, that they can say what they think, and be listened to. Everybody is important. Just think about the people that you rely on every single day who you never meet. People working on the huge sewage systems under London, for example. People working on gas mains who could blow you up at any time by getting it wrong. The guys running the nuclear power stations in this country. The Air Force the air captains and staff when we're flying, the people in your daily life, cleaners who, if they don't do their jobs properly, can literally kill you by allowing the bugs to get at you. 
the bugs that they haven't found, the bugs that they haven't bothered to clean. We are absolutely dependent on them. And that says nothing. I haven't mentioned the NHS. I haven't mentioned health and welfare. I haven't mentioned the neighbours who you count on to notice if there's something drastically wrong. We rely each on each other. And in a company, that is crucially true. People to be outspoken, forthright, honest, open. That's the culture you want. Point number two, keeping on the subject of people, is to select them very, very carefully. And once you have, trust them. Trust them to do their jobs. Trust is hugely empowering. Trust them with your secrets. That's empowering too. You've done your checks. You've taken out the references. They're part of the team. Empower them. Then train them very, very fully and make sure that they really have absorbed what you're training them to do. And then give them mentors that they can talk to and continue their training exercises and talk to them yourselves frequently. Just a small chat on a twice-weekly basis is very, very useful indeed. Show them you really care about them as well as how they're doing. Show them you care about their families who ultimately will become dependent on you and your company if they stay on. Tell them you care about their lives and that you can help them in any way you can. And thirdly, as I've said before, don't take anybody on until you need them. Outsource the work. Outsource the work in every single department until you need full-time people. Firstly, that helps you to define the type of person, the type of job requirement, the details of the job that you want to fill. And secondly, you won't be wasting time hiring somebody full-time when they can do the job in half the time. It's obviously very difficult for me to specify the types of businesses I'm talking to because I don't know what they are. My businesses have been in trading and storage. And trading really is my largest background in commerce. And in trading, I've found there are two things which are very important. And my fourth point is that one should maximise the margin. Now, that's a very simple thing to say. But most margins are maximised when a new product is brought onto the market. The market hasn't got a way of assessing the value of that product. Unless, of course, it's a commodity, in which case it's difficult. But you can still add value to it by having different packaging or different constituents. But it is difficult. But if it's an added value product, then the market has difficulty in assessing its value. So the best price is at the beginning. And then usually that margin is eroded. Firstly, because competition comes in and starts pressing it down. And secondly, because customer pressure which is immense in the trading business, particularly from retailers, pushes your margins down. They get to know what you're making. They see your accounts. They study very carefully to make sure you're not over-profiting from their business. And importantly, from the consumer who's paying too much for your product. As I've said before, margin really does come from the added value. In other words, the cost of the product is somewhat immaterial it's the value of the product to the user, which is material. But in any case, your margin is going to erode over time. So it's very important to maximise your margin. And I would suggest, and I've found, that when 
markets become very competitive. I get out of them. I either sell the business um, or sell that product group or get out of that product group, close it down completely and start a more innovative, higher margin, added value sector of the business or indeed business itself. So margin maximization is very important. And that leads me on to point number five, which is keeping your costs down. And I'm not talking about cost of product so much now. I'm assuming that by maximizing your margin, you're going to maximize or minimize the cost of the product and maximize the price to your customer. No, I'm talking about things like the cost of space. Keep your stock low. Because if you keep your stock low, you'll have a much more efficient business than if you pile it full into warehouses and have always the right product at the right time for the right customer, but at the expense of having vast amounts of money tied up in your stock. Where Amazon and others score, it really is a just-in-time stock position. And also the supermarket groups are now very good at that, as I've explained in previous podcasts. Keep your office space to a minimum, and that's now going to be a lot easier after COVID. But keep your costs generally tight. Don't go for flash. Go for economy. And in any case, flash doesn't look good, particularly these days. In the old days, there used to be an adage that companies where the chairman had a fish tank, where he or she had a parking space outside the office, there was a flagpole outside, they were going to fail. And <laughs> they often did. All pomp and circumstance uh, over real matter, real business matter. On the other hand, point number six is that you should invest in your website, in your branding, in your packaging. Give a really strong feel and brand identity to your products. or And in fact, that includes software products. Give them a strong brand identity, a strong color scheme, a strong digital format with individual TypeScript, etc. You'll see that everywhere you go. The colour is so identifiable with the company. If I mention companies, you'll immediately come up with their colour scheme and their branding identity. EasyJet, Ryanair, for example, one sector, totally definitive and defined by their logos and their colour schemes. Get that sorted so that the customer recognises immediately it's you who's calling. It's you who's wanting their attention. So don't economise on your outward reach to your customer. I've said invest in the website, the branding, the packaging, but also your telephone availability. Enable them to speak to real people and be helped in a really friendly way, a really personal way. Do things which people like to see you're doing, like giving a tree for every order or something like that. Show that you're good people doing good things and do things for your customers which they're not expecting, as I've said before. Point number seven is that you should deal with complaints very fast, very seriously and very generously. As it's been said, a complaint is a benefit in disguise and so many times you can turn a situation around to your great advantage. 
I've given examples of those times that I've encountered them in previous podcasts. It really is a matter of turning a challenge into an opportunity. And actually, it's getting the attention of the people who matter in the company that you're dealing with. So you're right up the ladder. My eighth point is that you should negotiate on all sides hard, but fairly. Let the other person live. Realise that they're running businesses and they've got to make a margin too. Realise what a competitive environment everybody's in. Treat them seriously, treat them fairly, but get the best deal you possibly can. And once you've got it, pay them under the hard terms which you might have negotiated, but pay them spot on every time, exactly on the day that your payments are due. They'll then rely on you, they'll back you, they'll give you priorities over other customers who may be slow payers and give them hassle. By all means, for point number nine, minimise your tax in every legal way you can. That's your duty to all your peers and your company and yourself. But when you pay tax, pay it with pleasure. And why? Because you are very fortunate to be running a business in Great Britain. This is, in my view, the best country in the world to be running a business. It has an excellent legal system. It has very high ethics. It has very low corruption levels. We have a good, moderate, equable climate. People in this country are reasonably well educated. They could be much better. We have outreach to the rest of the world for people with qualifications. We probably have the best universities in the world. And our educational system is definitely improving and has room for further improvement. It's a fantastic country to run a business in when you compare it with others. Britain is not ideal, but believe me, it's much better than many, many other parts of the world. And I'd rather be here. I think you probably would too. For my 10th point, respect the competition. In fact, respect everybody. But do respect the competition. So many times people disparage the competitors. Why do that? Firstly, they're probably and will be as bright as you. They're very clever people. They're doing their very best for themselves and for their staff and their customers, their shareholders. Why disparage them? Yes, compete against them. But lord and praise them too. And hopefully they won't badmouth you. And be humble. Don't show off. Don't brag. Because if you do, I can absolutely assure you it'll come back and hit you in the back. And you've got so many examples of that in political, social and other forms of life. And it certainly happens in business. People might follow you on the way up, but by God, they can kick you on the way down. And horrible to say, sometimes get some pleasure out of it, depending on how cocky you've been. So be humble, be quiet, be discreet. Number 11, listen. It's been said so many times, but you've got two ears and one mouth, and really listen. And then think carefully before you speak. So many times, it's happened this week in politics, 
One word can change a whole meaning. One word said in haste without very careful thought. And however unfair it is, that's the word people will remember. So do be careful. But on the other hand, you have to be spontaneous and articulate. And that's not always easy. So be thinking ahead what you're going to say. And finally, have fun. Try not to stress too much. In the order of things, business is not so terribly important. There are much more important things in life, like your family, your health. They come before your lifestyle. Hopefully you'll have enough bread on the table to keep everybody going. But the most important things are love, affection, warmth, food, being with the people you want to be, enjoying this amazing life of which business, for us business people, is an important part, but it's not all important. So have fun, laugh, enjoy yourself. You're on a mission, you're on a journey, and it's going to be great. Nice talking again, and not listening, but I listen to a lot to get here. I hope you all have a great few weeks until my next podcast and ad infinitum. Thanks for listening, folks. Goodbye.